This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Wildcatter Nation? Thanks for joining us for another wonderful episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. This year has obviously been awful for a variety of reasons, and more people are unemployed than ever. And so I think the timing of this episode couldn't be better. We had on Vitaly Meyer, CEO of PetroCubic, and super, super excited about all the things that he's working on with their platform that is connecting consultants to jobs and you know ENPs to very, very qualified consultants. So it's a really, really cool marketplace that I think a lot of you should check out. This isn't paid. This is not an ad. This is just a really, really great episode with a good founder. And so I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. But before we get into it, let's roll into our short little two-minute segment that we like to call the TPH Energy Insight of the Week. All right, so this week we're bringing you guys a little bit of oil news as opposed to something that was necessarily energy tech-related. Denmark's government on Thursday has agreed with the majority of their parliament to put a complete end to all oil and gas exploration and extraction in the North Sea by the year 2050. Yeah, and Denmark's actually the largest producer of oil and gas in the European Union, which doesn't include Norway and the UK. Um, currently, Denmark does about 83,000 barrels per day of production. So if you look at the impact that this will actually have on supply and demand, it'll probably be pretty negligible. They're not that big of a producer if you, you know compare it to Norway, who does 2 million barrels a day. But there's a lot of interesting activity in the North Sea. You know, obviously you have this move from Denmark and they've said that they're going to you know, end all exploration and production by 2050. And then Norway is also very forward thinking, too, when it comes to carbon emissions and uh, climate change. But, you know, they get a lot of criticism for kind of sitting on both sides of the aisle where they talk about this vision of being uh, carbon neutral, but then also they're producing 2 million barrels a day. So, um, you know, if you look at Denmark, they had an independent government advisor come in and recommended ending exploration in the North Sea, saying that a continuation would hurt the country's ambitions as a front runner on fighting climate change. So it's not a big driver for the country's GDP and it's not in line with their um, vision as a country. I guess it makes sense. And it's kind of, you know, where that part of the world is headed over the next few decades. All right, guys. And let's get right into the episode. What's going on, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Willing Gas Starts podcast. We got our man, Vitaly, Vitalik. <laughs> yeah, we just, we just got the entire lesson on Russian names and the derivatives. Like, I didn't know Sasha was short for Alexander. Alexander. Who yeah. would have guessed? So. Vitaly's over Igor, here schooling us Ivan, up. Vladimir. <laughs> we went through all the names. So, What's going on, Vitaly? I'm glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. So you're telling us that you're actually quarantined or not quarantined, but stuck over in Russia during COVID. You took a two-week trip over there, which turned into several months. So I'm glad <laughs> that you're back over in the States and able to join us for this. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Petrocubic, um, your company, Petrocubic. Let's talk about what you guys are doing. Just give us a quick high-level overview of that, and then we're going to dive into your background. We're going to talk about Russia and some other cool things. <laughs> okay, uh, let's uh, get started. So what is Petrocubic? In short, uh, we have two businesses actually under the roof of Petrocubic, and if I can describe them in short, we run two marketplaces. 
The first marketplace is for people. So when companies, they need to find the oil and gas consultants, they go to our platform and they can find these people. So it's a quite a, right now, at least in 2020, it's understandable. It's a freelance platform essentially for yeah. oil and gas. So it's quite straightforward. So if you look at like Upwork or yeah, yeah. Fiverr, these exactly, types of exactly. gig worker platforms, yes, yes, yes. which that we use daily almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all actually also use a little bit for our own work, yeah. like for designing in some software development so yes. yeah and the second piece it's a little bit more unique it's a petrocubic um, uh, software on demand workspaces we call them workspaces and that's uh, that's a little bit more complex so the first piece of this is a marketplace for software so we're making partnership with the software vendors and then we can offer the software on our platform so people, they can select which software they want, right? All in one place. So that's a one piece. The second piece of this is a software as a service model. So we're also doing commercially. You don't need to buy these licenses or software. You can... Uh, use it per hour, per day, and per month. So you can, it's a very flexible commercial so model. So actually, you decide what's better for you. Let me stop you right there just yeah. so that I fully understand yeah, this. Yeah. You guys are actually fractionalizing software. So say that, you know, if it was XYZ software instead of, hey, you don't need to pay, you know, $100,000 license for this software. Um, you can get it through our platform and pay for it by hour or per day or by project. That's how mm -hmm. that works. Cool. So if you're uh, especially independent consultant, you have a project maybe for two months. So you go to our platform, you order software, and then you pay for the actual usage. So if in a given month you use only 10 hours, you'll pay for 10 hours. If you use 100 hours, you pay for 100 hours. So it's kind of removing some of this complexity of especially consultancy project where your workload could be very uneven. Sometimes they start, they stop this project. So it just makes life easy and it's cost effective. Yeah. Also. I've thought about this before because I've thought about gig working platforms in oil and gas. And I really think that over the next decade, that's how the industry is going to operate. And, you know, even as Jake mentioned, you know, at Digital Wildcatters, you know, we use freelancers mm -hmm. for a lot of things on Upwork and things of that nature. And you look at it, I think oil and gas, I mean, this is already, if you look at oil and gas structure today, I mean, you have at the field level, you have a ton of consultants. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what it's allowed, you know, companies like rig up to build platforms mm -hmm. for like that. But if you really start looking at some of the office jobs, you know, the engineering and geology, geophysics, those types of things, you know, there, I, I think that we're going to start moving to more of a variable cost model on employees and you're going to have a lot of these gig workers, but you, it, you have that problem. That barrier is okay. You want this, this drilling engineer to work on this project, but he doesn't have access to the tools. You know, he's not carrying a drilling info subscription with him. Um, you know, how do you get them access? So you guys are also de democratizing the software for these consultants to use. That's exactly correct. And this was our kind of back to our original idea where we were thinking, okay, this crew change and everything. So how we can make it work. And one of the barrier, and it always was a one of the barrier, especially for independent consultants, access to software. Because companies, they don't want to buy this software for short-term projects, right? Or for any projects, <laughs> if you look on some companies, right? And consultants obviously cannot buy software for them. Some of them they could do, but some of the really expensive software, it's just too risky for them, right? They're not going to. So it was always this problem, right? And we're saying, okay, if we do this kind of gig worker, we need to solve the software problem, right? Yeah. And that's the way it came about, the second piece. Okay, cool. So yeah. we, got, we got an idea of what you guys are working on um 
Yeah, I just yeah, you want, want you to yeah. add the third piece on a oh, okay. workspace. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. But yeah. wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a quite a unique product. So and, uh, it's uh, just a several phase. And, and this last piece, which actually became very important specifically this year with the remote work, we also do it at all in the cloud. So people, they don't need to install this software on their computers. They access it remotely uh, in the cloud. So it's also a very different technical kind of piece of this. Do you do that via, uh, let's say, like a team viewer kind of thing? Uh, no, 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 no. We are using like a public clouds like Azure, Amazon. So we're specifically Amazon. So people, they're connecting to their workstations, workspaces in the cloud. So. Gotcha. Awesome. So let's talk about your background. Mm -hmm. You know, what did you do before Petrocubic? And, you know, I want to know your background. Um, obviously, we need to address the fact that you're from Russia because I find that super interesting. So we need to talk about that and kind of what led you to creating Petrocubic and seeing, you know, identifying mm -hmm. the need in, in the market. So you can start all the way back, you know, as far back as you want. You know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, let's start it. how I got in oil and gas. Actually, it go. was more by accident. <laughs> <laughs> my first uh, degree, my master's, they have no relation to ship to oil and gas. And I didn't have anybody in my family or relative in oil and gas. So my first degree, it's actually applied math. So okay. this was my <laughs> way, actually. And the straightforward way after graduation was actually to go in IT. But IT at that time, it wasn't actually super appealing for me because I like... When was this? What time? Huh? What time? Uh, 2000, 2000. Okay, like cool. Early yeah. 2000, 2001 to this year. Okay. So if you remember that time, the IT just was starting, right? And in US, it definitely was more developed. But if you go back in Russia, we didn't have a broadband internet, at least at home. We still use this, if you remember, this BBB. Yeah, dial-up, everything. So it was, I really loved the IT stuff, doing it as a hobby. So when you do it as a hobby, like writing some small applications, viruses, worms, something like this, really kind of interesting stuff. Yeah, I loved it. But when I started to do it for money, like in the last years of university, I joined uh, the contractor working for railroad IT center. So I started to roll software for money. That's where I realized how boring it could be. Yeah. <laughs> it was really super boring. So <laughs> making these databases and what's not. So I realized it's probably not something I want to do. So, and that's where this oil and gas opportunity kind of arise. It's also at the last year of university. So I kind of took it and the rest is a history. So, <laughs> so it's the, the first opportunity that you had in oil and gas was this in Russia or? Yeah. Okay. It was back in Russia at that time. The biggest, I think, at that time, the company, uh, the name was Yukos when it was still in existence. So they were actually scooping some universities to hire people for their company. And they were specifically looking for non-oil and gas people to bring in, like economists, mathematicians, some physicists. To How come? Of, Just to get a different perspective, to get a different uh, look? Probably. They want to train these people. They also kind of, they also probably provided and paid for education for these people. I don't know exactly what the reason, mm -hmm. but I think they probably wanted to have a kind of a little bit different blood and also train them differently, more like a Western education. So yeah. that's how they paid for my master's degree in Heriot Watts, so, which was kind of a really good deal for me. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, and yes, that's how it's all started. So you, so you get this, this mathematics degree and yeah. you're just like, fuck math, fuck IT. <laughs> How do you stumble upon oil and gas? 
Uh, it was a last uh, year in university, and my friend actually was working by the university floor. And our dean at that time, he kind of called him, hey, can you come here? And he was talking with some other guy from oil and gas company, right? And he said, yeah, this is a scout for this oil and gas company. So they're doing this, this. Are you interested? And my friend said, yeah, yeah, probably. And then he called his friends, kind of me and a few other people. Do you want to go to interview and kind of look on this guy? I said, yeah, why not? So let's give it a try. Then, yeah, we did this interview, joined it. And that's yeah, way, just all war, that's war, way but it was like this it was really like this <laughs> out of blue <laughs> that's way less of a russian story than i would have anticipated i would have thought that putin would have came down and said <laughs> you are you are oil and gas now this is what you do and you're like okay i'm oil and gas now <laughs> so it was a very quite different time since that time yeah. it was the early 2000s so. so you've been in the oil and gas industry for 15 yep. years plus now yeah, yeah so what brought you over to the U.S.? Let's talk about that. Um, I'm sure, you know, something oil and gas related that brought you over here and um, kind of open up on that a little bit. I was working uh, first in Moscow, then I moved in Siberia closer to the field. So I worked a little bit in Siberia for actually American company. And then when uh, this American company, they sold the all assets, so they brought some people in Houston. And yeah, that's how I moved. So to you're in the field out in Siberia. I imagine that's just cold as shit. Like it's got to be so cold. <laughs> yeah, it could be. <laughs> but uh, if you look at North Dakota, it's not very different from North Dakota. If you go travel in North Dakota in winter, it's actually yeah. might be quite close. But Siberia, it's even better because sometimes in North Dakota, it could be really strong winds and yeah, cold. Yeah. In Siberia, when it's a super cold, usually it's very quiet. So oh, okay. Yeah. Kind of yeah. I mean, the cold sucks regardless, but I spent a lot of time in North Dakota on the huh? North Slope and it's when the wind picks up that's when you really start to hate your aren't, life aren't but. the rigs encapsulated uh yeah for the most like some not all are, of them. but like probably no. most of them the, did the, the rigs that i've been on in some. north dakota are work over rigs they're not drilling rigs and yeah. they're Oof. just you're exposed to it so i've been out there and this isn't even that cold for north dakota but i mean like negative 20 with the wind mm. blowing and that's you rough. Know, yeah so it and this sucks. was my learning also i was living in more moderate climate in moscow in samara so more moderate climate right and i was thinking everything below minus 30 okay it's at celsius so in fahrenheit it would be 20 or something so everything below probably would be the same right whether it's <laughs> minus 50 60 yeah. or 20 and until i moved there and that's only when i realized that no no it's not the same it makes yeah yeah there is a difference that's <laughs> what i always thought you know you reach certain point yeah, or threshold yeah, yeah. where it just doesn't matter anymore yeah. and then i went up to the north slope of alaska in the dead of winter and it was negative 60 fahrenheit yeah. Yeah. and it it gets so cold that it doesn't even feel cold but you'll take okay. off your glove and all of a sudden your finger you start to feel the frostbite mm -hmm. you're like yeah the, there's definitely levels how to many this. <laughs> okay so i've never been in anything as cold as you guys have how many layers do you have to wear to really like survive this kind of cold well, i mean on the north slope they have you in i mean you're in arctic gear like you're, so you're, you're probably heavy, wearing like thermals, like like multi-layer oh, yeah, thermals. Yeah. And it's like spe specialty equipment too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just like some thermals that you buy at Academy. I mean, these are like high dollar thermals and then just heavy like coveralls. And mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think much of my time in the Marines, whenever we did it, it was nothing remotely as close to this, but it was probably like in the teens and we'd have like our Gore-Tex stuff and cold weather gear yeah. and 
Oh, I mean, I had like seven layers on just yeah. to stay warm. One thing I learned from being on the North Slope and then also when I broke out in the oil field, I worked for uh, Canadian rigs. So I got a lot of Canadian cold uh, cold weather gear from them. And one thing I learned is that you can't buy proper cold weather gear in Texas. Like we're just not <laughs> yeah. exposed to it. Like it's not down here. Like you go up to Canada and Alaska, like they got a lot better shit up there. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It would be called by local standards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you can show, travel up to New York or something. So this yeah. would be probably good for this. <laughs> yeah. yeah so they, um, you know, they end up selling their assets and then they bring you and some others to Houston. Um, did you keep working for that company once mm -hmm. you were in Houston? Yeah, I worked uh, quite a bit of years after. Actually, I moved to Ukraine also for this company. They okay. opened the office in Ukraine. So I went there for a year and a half, then came back in, to Houston. So Who I is the company? Uh, Marathon Oil. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say. Does it, does, it, does it run with these international type companies, since I've never worked at one of these, does it run essentially like one company or does the, each of the business units, like say the Russian business unit and the Ukrainian business unit and the American business unit run kind of independently from each other? I think in reality, it's probably different between companies. I don't think it's a uniform answer for all the companies at all the time. So it's changes. And even in one company, some years it could be quite independent and some years they try to centralize them. So it's a whole spectrum of degrees. So I think for Marathon, it was quite integrated. So they were running separately, but still you had people kind of moving back and forth. You were still kind of talking with Houston. So so what did you actually do for Marathon? What was your job title? Um, I don't know if I missed that part. So sorry if I'm... Uh, uh, Reserve engineer. So okay. that's what okay. I was doing. Reserve and petroleum engineering. So that's yeah. what I was doing. So you know, you had a degree in uh, mathematics and, you know, you're you're trained up that way. And then you learned the majority of reservoir engineering. Was this on the job? I mean, with no, that, no, with no, that no. original company? No, no, I have a company? degree from Heriot Watt for Petroleum Engineering. Okay, got you, so got you, I missed got that. Right. kind of postgraduate uh, short-term degree. Yeah, okay, got you. Started, yeah. So you come over to the States, um, you're working for Marathon. And how does the, how does Petrocubic happen? You know, what year did you start working on it? Um, you know, when was it founded? And tell us about how you got the idea for it. This also happened by chain of events, which probably very common in a startup world when, when these things happen. Really kind of by, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at Digital Wildcatters, it's like we started a podcast into a sustainable business. I mean, I'd love to say that we had the foresight of that, but it was just a chain of events. <laughs> exactly. So, it's all started um, probably back in 2014, 13, the first seeds of idea. So we discussed with my partners and friends at that time. So, and at that time, the big theme was the crew change. Maybe you still remember everybody was concerned about the crew change, what we do about this. And yeah. we started to think, okay, how we can really kind of think and uh, attack this problem, right? And thinking if we can really connect these people who are retiring back to the industry, right, that might work really well for both companies. They can still retain this expertise and for people also, because a lot of the people, at least which I knew, right, they wanted to engage in oil and gas even after retirement. They just did not want to have have this uh, everyday corporate job anymore. So, mm -hmm. and uh, this idea about the platform was really to make this bridge. And we were still quite ignorant at that time. I didn't know about any other freelance platform. So <laughs> this was kind of a really seed idea, right? It's only I kind of figured out, yeah, look, people already did this in IT when we started, right? <laughs> That's so pretty funny that you didn't like know about some of the other no, platforms and then just like make the 
the analogy to mm. and, and, and how it would apply to oil and gas. And you yeah, kind of yeah, just pulled exactly. this out of your ass. Yeah, that's a much it's easier, easier path to be like, oh, look, Upwork's working. We could do yeah. this for oil and gas, but you just came up with the concept, you know, from yeah, scratch. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, it was only discussion, right? And me and my friends, uh, we both had our day-to-day jobs. So yeah, it's a good concept, but how you act on this, it, yeah, you just didn't have any time or resources. So th- at that time I was working already in Mask Oil and they were shutting down the Houston office. So they lo- laid off quite a bit of people. So actually I rejoined Marathon. So I went back to Marathon to work on Eagle Ford assets. And it was the end of 2000. 2014. So we went from very hot market to really cold market, mm-hmm. right? And uh, in the early 2015, companies they started to lay off people and everything. And I was still treated probably by HR or whatever as a new hire. So I was chopped off. I tried to find some job. I even went to a few interviews early in the year, but nothing materialized and companies were still keep laying off people. So then in the summer, it was nothing. And gradually I've got a call and I started my own consultancy business. So I became actually, I became independent consultant. So I landed my first clients and second clients. So I started to work in the consultancy. And at that time, I think the trigger was I learned about cloud. It was back in 2015. So Mm -hmm. somewhere I learned about the cloud, what the cloud is, how they do. And something kind of hit me. Okay, now we actually have the the ability to do all these pieces, software, platform, websites, online. So this might be kind of the way to do this. So uh, we run a proof of concept on the cloud. So to make sure that the software side, everything is good performance. So it actually can work. And we realize, yeah, it's doable. And then kind of we started to do this. So, Yeah. You know, I, th- I think you talk about the cloud and realizing that all the pieces were there to be able to build technology like this. A lot of people take that for granted. You know, you look five, 10 years ago, yeah. it wasn't as easy to deploy and build these technologies. Right. So absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think, you, yeah. The cloud is really a big enabler. If you look on the fastest growth tech companies, not only in oil and gas, but everywhere in the world, right? They all were enabled by cloud, essentially. Yeah, 100%. People don't realize how much the server costs were back in the day. And that was like one of your biggest costs in scaling a startup, particularly in the early 2000s when you didn't have AWS and Azure Mm -hmm. and, and data centers and stuff like that. You literally had rooms full of servers and as you grew your company, you have to buy more and more servers. Whereas today, you can instantly scale to infinite amount of servers or virtual servers across a lot of these platforms for mm-hmm. like a for like thousands or tenths of a thousandth of the cost that it was then. You know, so like yeah, you guys are absolutely right. I mean, you, it's one of those things that we take for granted, but it's huge. So I liked one thing that you said that you know after marathon, you actually went consulting. And so you were doing independent consulting and you understood the pain points Mm -hmm. that come along with that because you were actually, you know, wearing those shoes and you understood that. And, you know, one of the biggest pain points of any type of consulting work is that you're always having to chase down work, right? You're always having to chase down deals. And so that's where the value is. You know, if you look at a a platform like Petrocubic, you have two sides of the market, right? You have the people that are doing the work, the professionals, and then you have the companies that are hiring them. And so the the value is that you're bringing, you know, you're bringing the deal flow, you're bringing the talent, and then that's, you know, you guys are able to monetize on that. But it, it's really, you know, it, 
it's like I put out a job posting this week on Upwork for um, needed help with some writing Mm -hmm. and I get 40 applicants to me. So I didn't have to go find 40 people. They came to me and then these people that are needing more work and jobs, the job came to them. Right. And so it allows the workers to fill their pipeline and allows companies to get to streamline their process of hiring. Absolutely. And even if you think, uh, because it's also two groups of people, let's call one group of um, people who are professional consultants, who are doing consultancy for 20 years or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. They tend to have already a broad network, right? So they have this network and sourcing the projects, right? And they're chasing this game, marketing themselves and everything. But that's only one group. But the second, uh, even bigger group, it's people who are retiring, right? And a lot of these people, they're very technical people. They don't want to be involved in marketing themselves, chasing the people. So often they can probably land their first consultancy with the companies they worked before, but not always. And uh, the problems they're also facing, a lot of their peers also retiring at the same time. So after a few years, right, they might lose this really connection they had in the industry before, right, because their peers also retiring. At least we saw it back in 2016-15. So for them, yeah, to have this platform where they don't need to spend efforts and time and kind of resources to market themselves, yeah, that's uh, really what you just described. I, I, spoke really at a, I spoke at a conference, it was a smaller conference of a whole bunch of... Um, EMP guys and you know older guys in the industry for the most part. I mean, it was a much older crowd. And after I spoke, I had a ton of these older guys who were consultants come up and they were like, you know, I'm 65 years old through the multiple downturns that we've gone through. My retirement's been wiped out. I'm having to work. I don't know how to market myself mm-hmm. in the market today. Like there's like the social media stuff and I just don't get it, yeah. you know? And so I understand from their shoes, like just feeling kind of like hopeless of like, like they didn't feel like they needed to adapt to those things because they were getting out of the industry. They were retiring. And then all of that just gets completely wiped out. And I think, you know, something like Patrick Cubic can be a godsend for some of these guys who may have lost a lot of things and now they need to kind of like rebuild their future. And what do they have? They have, you know, a ton of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really hard to compete maybe against some of these young bucks in the market, you know, that are probably coming in and doing the work for cheaper, particularly in today's market. And so you get these guys to come in and provide, I mean, just a wealth of knowledge. And now that they don't have to go out and spend time, like you said, marketing themselves and trying to compete with their guys who understand SEO and understand content marketing and understand how to like put themselves out on on different platforms, you know? I think the, I think, you know, another thing that you look at too is like you can look at my stepdad, for instance. You know, it takes a retirement package from Pioneer a um, couple months ago. And, you know, then he just floats off into the distance, but he still wants to work. But he doesn't, he's like, oh, you know, I want to pick up, you know, a couple jobs, but he doesn't want that full time, you know, corporate job anymore. He just wants to be able to provide services. And before this, you know, that it, wasn't really possible because if you're, as you know, this, um, you know, being a consultant, I mean, you're having to constantly, you're either working on a project or you're working on trying to find the projects that are going to pay you. Right. And so you can never just really pick up a job here and there. Um, so the, the need, it, it the platform solves that. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about building it because when you're building marketplaces, it's all like one, I'm fascinated by marketplaces. I love marketplaces. Um, especially in oil and gas, because I, I just, you know, whether it's people, equipment, I think that um, the market is ripe for them. And 
building them is very interesting to me because you have to build both sides. Yeah. You can't just go get all so hard. You can't go so get all the professionals, right? Or, you know, you're just waited on professionals and you have no work for them and you need the clients too. So tell us like, how has that been? You know, I'm sure this is the most challenging part of the business is figuring out how you make both sides. So yeah, that's something we definitely learn along the way. <laughs> that kind of it's the beginning, I think, at least what I hear a lot of people who learn about this. I had this guy in conference saying, Yes, that sounds great idea. So we can repeat this and do the same. I said, Yeah, sure. <laughs> so it sounds very simple, right? In the principle, right? But when you start to build it and you see kind of all these pitfalls and everything, you actually only then you realize how hard it is. Products is also hard, right? But I think the good thing about the products, there are some differences, right? If you have a good product and it works, so sooner or later you'll be able to kind of get a market traction and everything, right? In a platform, it's a different story. You need to have a critical mass, right? You need to build it. And our industry is quite conservative also, so it takes a long time. So it's difficult. So yeah. that's the only you know, I can tell you. It's really a, difficult. And you don't realize it until you start to do this. Yeah. How difficult it is. So you actually brought up a, a really interesting talking point was the product versus the platform mm-hmm. in the market. And uh, to be honest, I made a comment about Upwork last night. I was like, God damn, this platform, like, or the, the product sucks. Like, it's not actually very <laughs> good in terms of the UI and UX, but I don't really care. I keep using it because... It connects there. me to the professionals that yeah. I need. And so I'm willing to forgive the technology for they not could being... Definitely, Upwork, if you're listening, you could definitely make some improvements. Yeah. Upwork, if you also want to sponsor us, hit me up. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, but you have to, you know, you as a founder, you have to take both of these. You have the, the technology and the product, the actual enabler that allows everyone to do this. But then you have the business model and the platform of building both sides of the market which did you kind of prioritize? I mean, did you, you said you had a lot of pitfalls and learning lessons. So I'm sure that, you know, this is kind of a loaded question, but did you guys really put a lot of time and attention into the technology and the platform? Or did you say, Hey, we can put, we need to put more attention into the actual network. I think that's also probably the first, uh, kind of, first time business error. I think we actually overbuilt a little bit platform. Mm-hmm. We can probably could go with less. So we built probably too fancy, I would say for the time when we started and kind of a little bit too many things, which probably we didn't at the start. So we're yeah. a little bit overbuilt, but still, I think overbuilt is probably better than when you underbuilt. Because yeah. then you kind of destroy the credibility and everything. Yeah. So that's my feeling. <laughs> so it's, okay. a, it's a fine line to walk, yeah, it's right? it's a fine line. But now kind of looking retrospectively, we probably could get get away with less, like you yeah. said, right? But I'm glad what we did. It's changing. I think as you progress, right, when you just start, right, it's no point to chasing projects. And when you just started, right, you don't yeah. have enough people. So at the beginning, you definitely chase uh, people, consultants to join, right? And we, you start with uh, your network, then you kind of use some other places to recruit these people. So And then after a certain time, right, when you already kind of grew to more people, then, yeah, you started to chase uh, projects and everything. And it's also something we realized uh, 
that even you, if you have like 500, 600 people, it seems a lot. But then when you have a project, a lot of people, they go to the platform, but their projects could be so narrowly defined that even from these 600 people, sometimes it might be difficult to find because it's also, yeah, they came there because they couldn't find it anywhere else, right? So sometimes yeah. this specification is so narrow and you realize, oh my God, you, even from 600, you cannot find it sometimes. So. <laughs> Did you guys have any objections from some of the, the first consultants that you had reached out to saying like, you know, hey, join Petrocubic. Like to me, it sounds like a, it's an easy sell, right? I wanna, yeah, I wouldn't but, but think were, so from the... Were there any objections in terms of like, oh, I don't understand this or what is this or... Or did everybody was just jumped on board? I think more so from the EMP side, the, yeah, the consultant side. Yeah, consultants, I don't think there are some objections. It's not necessarily means that they're all joining, but I don't think there are any objections because we don't charge money for these people, right? So they might not believe it too much, right, that they can get a project because it's still relatively new and everything. But in terms of strong objections, no, I don't think we have from consultancy side. And again, then when some consultants, they've got a project, probably it was a surprise for them. Jesus, I didn't even believe in this, but now I have a project. So I don't think, but on the ENP sides, yes, there's definitely, again, it's not necessarily objections, right? It's just a, it's just a different, right? What mm -hmm. they used to be, right? So it just takes a little bit time so people get comfortable with this kind of thing. Yeah. And what we actually see this year with the COVID and remote work, actually it could, uh, short term, it's bad. So in a project for this year project, it was really bad, but long-term yeah. project, it's actually fitting really well with our work model because our work model also was calling for more remote work. We said, yeah, you can find somebody to the office, but it's probably not necessary. A lot of this project work could be done remotely. So if you have somebody retired in Montana, Wyoming or anywhere, right, they can work from there. They don't necessarily need to come to Houston. Mm -hmm. work here. So we always were kind of proponents for remote work, but people were really kind of scared and didn't want anything about the remote work before and now this year i think a lot of companies realize it's actually could work so it's opening up this remote work yeah possibilities. yeah i was gonna say that i imagine everything that's happened this year is net positive for you guys long term yeah long -term. yeah i mean short term i don't think anyone you know gets <laughs> yeah. out of 2020 without having some type of <laughs> yeah. adverse effects but long term is net positive for you guys. And I mean, the, the harsh reality is of oil and gas that we lost jobs that probably aren't coming back, right? And so you're gonna have a lot of talented and skilled people out there that still have the skill set to be able to do these jobs. And then on the EMP side, you know, these EMPs, the the everyone looks at GNA, right? I mean, it's one of the only ways that EMPs can cut costs and downturns is, you know, they start whacking the GNA. But how can you start scaling your operations and your assets without also scaling your GNA? And I think that the way that, I mean, way that we think about wildcatters is like, hey, how can we keep things at a variable cost and work with people on a project basis or, you know, freelancers part time? And so I think that if EMPs start looking at this kind of having this mindset as well of like, hey, how can we do more with less and not actually have full-time staff on um, and be overstaffed and then have to cut it, you know, in the next downturn, how can we work with um, freelancers? I think that that is something that's happening and, you know, a platform like Petrocubic enables that to become a reality, whereas 10 years ago, there was no technological solution for and 100%. That. And then you've got these guys now that can also go and work for four companies at a time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was also saying when uh, I was a consultant, I once had three clients at the same time with a variable workload. 
And sometimes it could be difficult to manage time-wise, <laughs> these mm-hmm. sort of things, but it works fine. But it's actually providing you more stability as a consultant because uh, one of my clients actually shut down the Houston office entirely, so everything went home. But for the employees, it was a really big kind of change. Now they need to find a job for me. Okay, I lost one client, but I still have two others. So it wasn't as yeah, a big able, difference. You're able to diversify your yeah, client exactly. Base, yeah. So initially it might be a little bit difficult, but we, in times where right now where the job stability is just not there, right? The consultants, if you can make it work and you can have several clients, it actually will be probably more stable for you. There's Another, a couple... Go ahead. I was going to say, there's a couple things I want to talk about. Um, one, you brought up the mention of money and how you guys monetize um, so you don't charge you know, the consultants to be on the platform. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you guys take a transaction fee off of any work that happens on the platform. I mean, is that assumption correct? Mm-hmm. We, yeah, the way how we structure it, and again, here we just didn't want to reinvent the wheel. So again, we didn't know about this platform, but then when we knew, we just looked how they work. And most of them, I think they work kind of the same how we did it. So we don't charge oil and gas companies for posting projects or registration, anything like this. So we don't charge uh, consultants, obviously, like membership fees. So we only charge money when people make money. So yeah. we're taking 10% out of invoicing from mm-hmm. consultancy side. Yeah. And they're free to set their own rates, but that's how we do. We process all payments, invoices, they go through us. So, cool. And we take 10%. It's very straightforward also, yeah. right? If yeah. you compare with some other kind of traditional consultancy, it's a little bit more difficult because you have this middleman and they might have whatever surcharge, right? On the actual rates, the consultants. It could be 40, 50, 30%, 20, sometimes yeah. maybe even up to 100, right? For us, it's very straightforward. Yeah. Are you concerned about people trying to like circumnavigate the platform when it comes to like payments and things like that? That's always a problem for any freelance platform. Yeah, we we saw it in the past. It's it's kind of difficult to prevent, right? You don't want to be harsh with people, right? So, but if you think about this long term, short term, it might sound great. But if you think about the long term, and if you are there for a long term game. I don't think it's really good and worthwhile for to do this. So first of all, if you try to go around, uh, you will not get your profile as good, right? So you wouldn't have statistics, the reviews mm-hmm. for you. So you're losing this kind of social proof a little bit, right? So then you also have a trouble. If something go wrong, then you don't have anybody kind of be as an arbiter side, for yeah. you, right? On yeah. your side. So that's another thing. And then the third thing, oil and gas is a small world. Yeah, <laughs> people talk, right? So yeah. sooner or later, and usually it's a very sooner, we kind of know about this, right? And yeah. then we'll just kind of, yeah, we probably will not shuffle this guy out, but we'll be kind of not helping them to land more projects and notify them about. So we have some kind of yeah. way how we can do it. And it's also think about the company, right? If you're a company, you find this consultant, and the first thing he is doing, and he's saying, let's go around. So it's kind of you also destroying your credibility <laughs> yeah. a little bit, right? So yeah, but it's, it's a problem. It's not, it's not a very good look. Yeah, I mean, yeah. any marketplace or freelance platform is going to have this issue, yeah, right? I mean, you'll have this. You look at um, like if you look at um, Upwork, like any time if I mention Slack email anything it'll highlight it and it brings up a notice it's like you cannot talk to this person outside of the platform unless you've um initiated a contract 
in which I mean, like if I really wanted to, it's just like I get on a phone call with them and you yeah. can circumvent it. But, you know, one, I don't do that. And I think a lot of these contractors, they don't want to lose their reputation as well. But in oil and gas, honestly, it doesn't seem like that would be as much of a problem as it is for a platform like Upwork because these are bigger engagements, um, small world, like you mm -hmm. said. And then also, you know, if, say if it's a company like Pioneer Natural Resources is, you know, if they're doing like a long-term engagement with this one consultant, you know, someday they may, you know, that may just become a full-time gig or whatever. So it kind of goes outside of the short-term thesis of the platform. And actually we have this model and we had one consultant who was doing a longer term project and then we just let him go. So yeah, after some time we said, yeah, now you can just do directly because it seems you liked each other. So you can kind of yeah. continue on a longer term engagement without us. So it's okay. Yeah. And so that's, I it mean, might change in the future. We've but let so you far. free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've, we've set you free. Yeah. So you brought up a, another point that I was going to ask you about was the social proof and ratings of of these, um, you know, geo um, technical professions. And this is something else that I think a lot about, because if you look at like developers, you know, they have Git and they have um, Stack Overflow and they have all these platforms mm -hmm. where they can go and share their knowledge and build dynamic resumes that say, hey, look, like, you know, if you need a developer, it's like what you get. And you can literally go in there and see what they've worked yeah, on. Like on a resume, you can literally say whatever you want. And as long as you can pass the interview and answer relevant questions, I mean, you can just completely lie your ass off. The wonderful <laughs> thing about Git and seeing somebody's essentially portfolio of what they've built mm -hmm. is, unless they've just completely stolen it, you know, <laughs> but then you give them coding challenges, right? That's one of the most common hiring practices. Yeah, and what what's interesting about it for oil and gas, though, is that you have this very um, technical industry, right? And... Um, but there's still not a way to really get that social proof online and build that dynamic resume. So I'm assuming you guys have like a rating system at least mm -hmm. to where if I work with, you know, Bob, I can give Bob a five-star review and say, Hey, you know, Bob was an excellent reservoir engineer. would use him again. Um, what else, you know, how, how do you guys think about this? Because I think it's a pretty complex problem. It and is. It is. I've been, I think a lot about it and I, I haven't like come, come to the conclusion, but there's gotta be something that, that can be done to let people really show off their skills and get that social proof as well. It is a co very complex problem. And I don't think uh, there is a universal solution and depending where you are with ni which niche, you probably kind of doing it a little bit differently. So yeah, we do have reviews. We have uh, some statistics, how many projects, how many hours everybody worked, but we kind of stopped a little bit short of given marks. Like you have a five stars, you have a three stars because again, all these people, right? They're already experienced people, right? And making yeah. them stars and marks, they're kind of a little, little bit older than this, right? And yeah. that might alienate some of these people. And it's also subjective, right? When you have a statistics, like 10, 15 people, right? Yeah, that's a good that's statistics. But when it's just a few, it also could be subjective, right? Sometimes it could be personality clash. So it didn't work for some, but it worked for somebody else. So yeah. you don't want to ruin this, right? A reputation. That's why I always feel bad for like some people on Upwork because, you know, they'll apply for a job and say maybe it's like a three and a half star rating or whatever their performance rating is. But 
if they don't have a huge sample set of jobs and it's like you do three jobs and you got a one star on one of them because you had a personality clash or say the person that hired you was just a piece of shit and you know you didn't get along and they give you a one star now it just like tanked your tanked your overall rating and so it's not very fair right also who goes out of their way to give one stars on things unless your experience is like absolutely awful yeah specifically if you're one of the last two people that left us a one star review on our podcast i think we know who they are yeah (laughs) i'm pretty sure we know who they are and (laughs) fuck fuck you you. that's it (laughs) yeah don't leave one star and the the problem i think we face right now when it just started several years ago everywhere this ratings i think at the beginning it worked well for hotels for everything right but now also you see people's started to abuse it right give me this give me this so i'll give you one star right whether it's a restaurant or, or even platforms or you know you oh, look at like platform. yelp they start you, you, to really demand and sometimes the clients could be unreasonable also right yeah. we can see also this so it's it's a complex yeah you so. look at yelp i mean it becomes yeah. like the mafia it's like oh yeah. we're gonna you know keep all these bad reviews unless you pay up uh, a monthly fee or whatever it may be and so yeah you know, the, the human bias and error always comes, you know, rears its ugly heads, but everybody is getting a force. You're at least getting a four star with me. And if you're like exceptionally great, then you're going to get a five star, but anything less than that. It's like, like even like lift drivers, like lift drivers. If I have a bad lift driver, I'm like, that's that person's livelihood. Yeah. Like I, I can't like, do I'm it. Not I can't gonna mess it up I'm not going to mess yeah. it up for them. It's like, yeah, it's whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. like that's all they, that's all they did. I make it to my table. destination alive. Okay, cool. Barely, but I got there. <laughs> There's been a few instances where we almost died. It's already free at least. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, before we wrap up this podcast, man, um, one, you know, I'm really I'm really interested in these types of marketplaces and these platforms. I think that it's 100% the way that oil and gas and energy as a whole is going. So, um, you know, I think that you guys are in the right place. You know, what are y'all's goals over the next six months to a year? I mean, and how do you see Petrocubic really, you know, we talked about it. 2020 is a hard year, but 2021 is things stabilize a little bit and, you know, everyone gets past the shell shock. You know, how do things look like for you guys and what are some things that you're excited to, to do? Actually, kind of our thinking, if the things will stay as today and we'll get a vaccine and all uh, prices will become stable and the demand pick up. So actually, the next year could be quite good Mm -hmm. because people laid off a lot of companies, they laid off a lot of people, but the projects are still there. So there will be some demand and a lot of these companies, they probably will be kind of hesitant to hire people again. So this might pick up on a software side as well. So when you have projects, you need software. so actually we're looking positives for next year again you never know right like this year we also looked whatever we <laughs> <Yeah>. wanted right? <laughs> <laughs> then it's all started but in terms of our goals it's uh, getting more clients so that's our first goal so we already have a working product we constantly develop it so we add in few things but it's already working so our number one priority is getting more clients for both software and uh, awesome. consultancy and we also do partnerships because on the software we need to do partnerships so we're still working with a few kind of companies so we try to grow our partnership network yeah, i feel like this probably could have been like a two or three hour podcast we didn't even get to dive into those too deep so yeah. had a ton of questions for you on on the on the marketplace for the the personnel <laughs> <laughs> so if someone's listening today and they're either a consultant or a professional looking to pick up some extra work or they're an EMP or a bank or a private equity fund that needs professionals. Where can they find you guys at? What's the URL to the website? Um, can they find you on LinkedIn, et cetera? You can just uh, Google Petracubic. There will be only one Petracubic in Google, <laughs> which is a good for the name, or just go petracubic.com. 
Awesome. So guys, check it out. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of interesting conversation around this topic and the way that oil and gas and EMPs view the business model is fundamentally going to change in yep. my mind and it's going to be enabled by technology. So I think Petrocubic is in the right place at the right time. I'm excited to see what you guys do. Um, if you want to check them out, check them out at petrocubic.com. We'll leave a link in the show notes. Make sure to give us some five star reviews because we got some. We got some people leaving us one star reviews. They're it's mad the at trolls, me. man. It's They're the mad trolls. at me. We know so. exactly who they are. <laughs> I, I can will tell. Do, I will do five. All right, we got one. We got one from a one by one. We'll get the five star reviews. I'll tell you, so. I'm really excited about this. Uh, I think you guys are strategically positioned, especially with everything that's happened this year and with the general conditioning of the market for the gig economy. And I think that you know desperate times call for desperate measures but i think we're also going to see a lot of innovation in this space and i think emps are coming around i think consultants are going to start seeing themselves as freelancers i think if you've been laid off and you're looking for work and i think it's time to kind of rethink you know what your options are you know if you you're absolutely needing to bring in some money to put some food on the table you have opportunities to for one now you can be on petrocubic you can also drive uber and lyft bring in a little bit of extra money you can hop on upwork and look we hired a writer on upwork i put out a, a post that i was like hey, i want to turn some of my podcasts and blogs and had a lady that was at halliburton for seven years up in denver yeah. laid off and she started writing on upwork and she saw that post She's like this is perfect for me yeah i love it I love it. So like take so if you haven't even checked out Upwork, I would also recommend everybody go check it out and just see the types of jobs that people are posting and take inventory of your skill set. There's things that you know, there's things that you can do that other people can't do. Like I'm not the greatest writer in the world, you know, and so I would yeah, hire somebody all day. Completely suck at writing. So um yeah, so I, th I think there's a, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of good things you can do out there and kind of rethink the way that you think about your career and your profession. Uh, go out there and hustle. Make some money a bunch of different ways. And so I think Petrocubic is going to be, uh, I think we're going to keep some eyes on you guys. Uh, I think you guys are going to blow up here coming soon. So yeah. go check them out. We'll follow up with you sometime next year. Hopefully yeah. you don't get stuck in Russia again. We didn't even get, as to, long talk as not like we didn't even get to talk about Russia today, man. I need another podcast. Soon, oh, there's so. so much more Russia I want to talk about. All right, All right so guys. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. I would love to come again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. absolutely.